Hello and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, closetalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show, and Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed, and if you go to cardboardboxproductionsinc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Close Talking. I'm your co-host, Connor McNamara Stratton. And I am your other co-host, Jack Rossiter Munley. And here we are. And you may be wondering why are here you are. Why why are you back so soon? What's going on? Well, Jack, uh, some very important literary news was just announced. The fanfare is back. Uh, DIY fanfare produced by yours truly. The Pulitzer Prizes were announced. And a very exciting winner, Natalie Diaz, for her book, Postcolonial Love Poem, which is very exciting. And we thought we would... In light of the news, we would do a little episode, read maybe a poem from the book, and uh, yeah, give you give you a little treat. Um, we did do a poem of hers on, a, on an episode a little while back. On episode 40 of Close Talking, we talked about her poem, My Brother at 3 a.m. from one of her previous, also very lauded collections, uh, When My Brother Was an Aztec, which came out all the way back in 2012. Um, which both seems recent and longer ago than I thought it was. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's very exciting news. Um, obviously, there were also finalists um, in The Lateness of the World by Carolyn Forche was one of them. And the other was A Treatise on Stars by Maymay Bersenbrugge. Yeah. And yeah, Diaz, if you're not familiar, um, was born in the uh, Fort Mojave Indian village. She is Mojave. Um, she's uh, was a 2018 MacArthur Fellow. Um, she's also done a lot of work um, doing language sort of recovery uh, for uh, the Mojave language. Um, she's a wonderful poet. I've, I've had the privilege of hearing her read a few times. Um, Actually, me and Jack both got to hear her read at uh, 
AWP a couple of years ago with Nikki Finney, which was amazing. That was one of the best like reading poetry presentation experiences I think I've ever had. It was, which I think is to put it in context, it was like the keynote event. So it also was with the largest possible audience. And like, I think a lot of times the readings that stand out are often because the atmosphere is really special in addition to being really good work or like you're there with a group of people that you know or there's some kind of community happening. And not that that doesn't happen at AWP, but it was in this kind of largest, most institutional, most impersonal kind of setting. And the just raw brilliance on display is what made it so spectacular. I think about that reading and reference it to people all the time. Yeah. Me too. It was, I, yeah, it was incredible. We both left like kind of shook. Yeah, <laughs> there, for sure. Yeah. There's... And we're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of uh, like contemplative time after that to sort of process the brilliance. Yeah. Um, but I think she probably actually read a draft of something that ended up in this book, um, which came out last year, which I have and have been reading through. Um, and it's really good. I don't know if this is in every book, but there is a, a cool little note slipped in that says, Salud y Amor, uh, signed by Natalie Diaz, um, which is now my bookmark. Um, <laughs> That's so cool. I know, I'm very excited. Um, yeah, and it's it's Grey Wolf Press, um, great press uh, in Minneapolis. Her first book was from Copper Canyon, I think. Also a wonderful press. Um, and yeah, there's, I guess, like, should we maybe just read the title poem and then talk a little bit more about it and kind of see what go from there? That sounds great. All right. Well, I will read from the very printed page. This is the um, genuine artifact right here. This is the book. Uh, and it is called, the first poem is the title poem. It's called Postcolonial Love Poem. Postcolonial Love Poem. I've been taught Bloodstones can cure a snake bite, can stop the bleeding. Most people forgot this when the war ended. The war ended depending on which war you mean. Those we started before those millennia ago and onward. Those which started me, which I lost and won these ever blooming wounds. I was built by wage. So I wage love and worse. Always another campaign to march across a desert night for the cannon flash of your pale skin settling in a silver lagoon of smoke at your breast. I dismount my dark horse, bend to you there, deliver you the hard pull of all my thirsts. I learned drink in a country of drought. We pleasure to hurt leave marks the size of stones, each a cabochon polished by our mouths. 
I, your lapidary, your lapidary wheel turning, green mottled red, the jaspers of our desires. There are wild flowers in my desert which take up to 20 years to bloom. The seeds sleep like geodes beneath hot feldspar sand until a flash flood bolts the arroyo, lifting them in its copper current, opens them with memory. They remember what their god whispered into their ribs. Wake up and ache for your life. Where your hands have been are diamonds on my shoulders, down my back, thighs. I am your culebra. I am in the dirt for you. Your hips are quartz light and dangerous. Two rose-horned rams ascending a soft desert wash before the November sky untethers a hundred-year flood. The desert returned suddenly to its ancient sea. Arise the wild heliotrope, scorpion weed, blue facelia, which hold purple the way a throat can hold the shape of any great hand. Great hands is what she called mine. The rain will eventually come or not. Until then, we touch our bodies like wounds. The war never ended and somehow begins again. The poem with so much in it, but it's one of those ones with that like incredible last line. Yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily, it doesn't feel like it's building to it, but it still comes in right at the end and it just hits so hard. It really does. Yeah, it really does. Um, and yeah, it's, oh, it's so, <laughs> I encourage everyone to read it out loud yourself if you can. It's, uh, it's very, um, I don't know. It's just really wonderfully written and really sort of marvelously sounding. Um, had you had you read it out loud before? I don't think I had actually. I I had heard her. I had read it, and then I had heard her read it, um, and I'd read it a couple other times. But I, I don't. I don't think I'd read it before. Um, Did you notice anything as you were actually reading through it out loud? Because like I had read it before. I'd never read it out loud. And when I heard her read it, I was struck by she's an incredible reader. So this may just be my <laughs> yeah <laughs> reflecting on hearing her read it but um like the the just the smoothness of it um and she's a very smooth reader so as i said this could just be my impression from hearing her read it but the sonic smoothness overall of the poem really struck me when i heard her read it oh yeah totally totally um no i think that's really right it's like there's you know there's moments that it's just like um you know, your hips are quartz light and dangerous, two rose-horned rams ascending a soft desert wash before the November sky untethers a hundred-year flood. The desert returns suddenly to its ancient sea. Like that kind of, um, I don't know, it just like, it builds in this, these long lines that are just like so 
sonically tight with like the R's and the rose horned rams and then the the I don't know um untethers um and and then there's also just these parts like that are kind of more like tightly wound which which I didn't quite really comes out when I read it aloud of like I your lapidary your lapidary wheel turning green mottled red the jaspers of our desires um like the repetition of lapidary and then the kind of green mottled red that's like this phrase that's you know just sort of like stuck in there kind of thing um really like slows things down and and has that rotating <laughs> i don't know sort of feel to it um Definitely. And there's a couple of points in the poem where you do get these almost half echoes of something that came before. So like the ending line, the war has already been referenced earlier on. Lapidary literally repeats, but also, you know, you have these little nugget phrases that come in over and over in the poem that I think add to that feeling of like, flow and even in those moments when it becomes a little bit more tightly wound you still have the resonance from the like the longer sentences and the longer phrase portions um and also just like jaspers of our desires is the coolest <laughs> possible <laughs> combination yeah. of words like how amazing is that yeah yeah totally well and it, and it's so like perfect this book in general, you know, it's as the title indicates, you know, post-colonial love poem. I mean, the love of it is so important. And there's a lot of poems, you know, that are direct sort of addresses to a, a beloved. Um, and there's, you know, like a lot of sensuality and, um, and intimacy that, that I think the kind of, um, you know, the sonic smoothness and like the the love of the language is really bringing out. But then at the same time, there's also like, you know, the post-colonial aspect and like, you know, the the war never ended and somehow begins again, which um, like there's a great review that I have been reading um, by Deborah Miranda, who has this line, post-colonial is a word that confusingly doesn't and does apply to life in today's Native America. We are mm. simultaneously alive after the initial blow of colonization and yet still subject to a barrage of colonizing injustices and microaggressions that impact our daily lives, often in violent ways. Um, and, you know, and yet love is also a constant in our experiences, too. Um, and I think, which I which I found really insightful. Um, and that just I, that idea of like, the war never ended, like the, you know, the US, like settler colonial war in in one way is the war is still ongoing, of course. Um, and yet begins again is that is that weird sort of like way that um things i don't know things still are 
happening that are new and terrible <laughs> yeah, and it, terrible it, in new ways. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, as the poem says, like it, it never, it never ends. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's the ongoing Imperial project, both abroad where it's most often, I think referenced, but it also never stopped at home. Um, and I remember part of the, the, uh, the reading that we saw with, uh, Natalie Diaz and, and Nikki Finney was talking about the kind of long reach of historical injustices. Part of what Natalie Diaz was talking about is like the long reach of the residential schools and how that violence and injustice radiates and resonates. And, you know, it fits perfectly with some of the, the work that she's doing, not just in poetry, but also, as you were mentioning, she's part of a you know, a, an effort to preserve the Mojave language. And a lot of the impetus behind those schools was to stamp out native culture and native practices. And part of that was trying to st to destroy the tradition of language and to, and a lot of the, you know, loss of, of native speakers of native languages comes through those schools. And so it is this like very, uh, culture destruction colonial project that extends way closer to the modern day in its kind of most reprehensible iterations than many realize but also there are many ways obviously in which it continues today perhaps the edges have been softened a little bit but that doesn't necessarily make the wounds any less painful that you know i mean it, it echoes through this poem but also through the whole collection and, and through a lot of of her other work as well Absolutely. Um, yeah. And actually, I mean, just recently there was the, um, this was in Canada, but there were the bodies of, of 215 children um, found at uh, what was um, an Indian residential school um, in Canada. Um, and which prompted an apology from the Pope, which was <laughs> a non-apology apology, sort of, and also referenced something along the lines of solidarity with all the like children of Canada to which many, uh, native people quite accurately pointed out. These are not children of Canada. These are cultures that long predate the idea of Canada check yourself before you wreck yourself francis yeah um like first, come on first nations as in first <laughs> let's Be prior prior to <laughs> the canada nation <laughs> yeah but yeah the the legacy of the residential schools is really uh horrific and they they were in operation for so long i encourage anyone listening to look up the history of these schools because they were reprehensible in every possible way. Their reprehensibleness was known and uh, they continued on for years and years and years and years and years. Yeah. And yeah, I, I appreciate the The reprehensibleness was known. Often there's a kind of like, well, you know, those were the times and people didn't know better. It's like, well, yeah, people had a 
a good sense and they did it anyway um because it was yeah i mean the the indian child welfare act was not enacted until 1978 it's really brutal um yeah this book really it's it's it gets into i don't know so much of that um and i don't know if there are poems that talk about the schools specifically um in this collection um but there's a, a one of the more well-known ones from the book um is american arithmetic which um we'll link to and there's a great like motion poems um visual film of the poem as well um and that one you know begins like native americans make up less than one percent of the population of america 0.8 percent of 100 percent um and as that that one review uh that i had referenced earlier says you know unspoken yet hovering over this poem is another invisible statistic pre-colonial native americans once made up 100 percent of the population of north america um and so you know uh you know diaz is foregrounding the efficiency of genocide um in that poem i also in that poem am another invisible statistic i think within it is um the three-fifths clause in the constitution where there's another pretty disgusting form of american arithmetic at work uh she says in an american city of 100 people i am native american less than one less than whole and that's sort of where i feel the weight of the three the history of the three-fifths clause in the background of like you're less than even a single person in this in this place absolutely yeah and and there's another there's another line in the poem, police kill Native Americans more than any other race. Um, and in the notes in the book, Diaz writes, um, the line is based on statistics per capita. As the poem goes on to state in the following lines, this poem was written in acknowledgement of solidarity with and in conversation with the police violence perpetrated against all black and brown peoples in the United States. Um, so there's definitely like that, that sort of broader, um, solidarity, I think at work in, in that poem for sure. Yeah. And that's something that I really like about a lot of her work is as sort of, and I say this in terms of how it is, um, like for the the reader experience, I'm sure that there is a ton of work that goes into it, but there is a sort of effortless intersectionality to a lot of the the way that I receive uh, her poems. And that is something that I think we were also both struck with when we were uh, hearing <laughs> Nikki Finney and Natalie Diaz at AWP, not to continually reference it. Um, <laughs> but can you tell that it was amazing? Uh <laughs> But like the the effortless interweaving of connected histories, but histories that for a long time and, and activism that for a long time has 
been separate, but I feel like those strands are routinely uh, connected. And the word that always comes to mind when I'm reading or thinking about it, particularly a poem like American Arithmetic, is just how seamlessly interwoven they are i the word that comes to mind is effortless even though obviously it, it takes a lot of work to to pull that kind of you know deep level of connection in so many different things um to pull it off well absolutely no i i really agree with that um yeah and just like another you know identity intersectional dimension of course is that you know this is these are also you know queer love poems um and and also, of course, like post-colonial love poems and like this kind of, there's a lot that are, it's an interesting sort of engagement with the the political and the intimate, um, you know, and the ways that the the political is, is you know, um, like interacting with and sometimes like, disrupting the intimate um and in other ways in ways that the intimate is is sort of um like resisting or a refuge uh in different times like the political um both the you know um in terms of you know queer identity and indigenous identity and like racial identity and all these things um so yeah, it's, it's really, um, yeah, I'm excited to like finish reading it <laughs> basically. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, in a positive note and kind of turn, uh, there was a fair amount of native representation within the Pulitzer awards this year, the Pulitzer prizes, um, Louise Erdrich won for The Night Watchman in fiction. Obviously, Natalie Diaz won in poetry. And though there was no award given this year for political or editorial cartoons, Marty Tubal's Sr. was one of the nominee finalists. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I highly recommend everyone... Um, get post-colonial love poem from your local independent bookstore or your local library if you can um as well as the finalists a treatise on stars and in the lateness of the world i'm excited to check those out um because i haven't read either and yeah they both seem really really good um, we will be sharing a fair amount of different stuff about Natalie Diaz about post-colonial love poem and about the other Pulitzer finalists across our various social media platforms um, so be sure that you are liking us on Facebook facebook.com slash close talking and following on Twitter at close talking and if you like this episode and you want us to do more episodes like this where we let you know what's happening <laughs> let us know get in touch either on social media or by email we are close talking poetry at gmail.com and we love to hear from you. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is co host Jack Rossiter Munley. Just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us and we love to hear from you. It's always great to know if you have a different reading of this poem or any of the other poems we've covered 
or if there are any poems you wish we would cover in the future, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. And the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry or on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. See you next time.